Welcome to PhD. <laughs> well, welcome to PhD Bus. Um, well, I'm Liz. This is Zion Yao, and again, we have bringing you another episode recorded live in Philly. But this time, we have a very special guest, another fellow PhD Diva uh, at, from Cornell, Shyla Foster. <laughs> Hello. We're gonna insert the applause, applause right here. Okay. Um, Shyla um, just got received her PhD from Cornell University in English. Yeah. In case you're wondering which side of the STEM versus humanities divide she falls upon, so it's one for my team. She's on my team, too, though. You know why? Because she's black. Thanks for all our listeners. <laughs> I'm sure they, they also appreciated having that illumination. <laughs> Have you had a STEM guest yet? No, You're, you're actually, our first guest. You're our first guest. Well, oh I guess my. Dexter has unofficially, because he chimed in at one point. Oh, that's point. true. But, yeah. And also, he's also humanities. But he's also black, I guess. So <laughs> it's, also, it's also evenly divided. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Watch out, Zion. We thought that an interesting topic today that um, is literally, well, it's not quite literally, but figuratively near and dear to our hearts um, would be, how does what we study relate to what we love? Or do you study what you love? And perhaps what the relationship is like with between being a fan versus an academic. And I think that um, Shiloh's work speaks this, this quite a bit because, um, yeah. So Shiloh, how do you navigate being a fan? Outside? Well, how about talk about some of the things that you like, and you also so happen to study. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very, it was really great that um, my obsession with Buffy the Vampire Slayer turned out to be field work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I definitely, um, loving the text that I work with keeps me, you know, it helps my drive and like, you know, keeps me focused and interested and, um, and helps me reach people who are maybe not academics um, because it's, because I can engage with it on two levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but more about me, I guess, realizing, th- thinking more critically about why I love the show is what helped me figure out, you know, what I had to say about it. Mm-hmm. So it really helped me in my first year because, you know, it was very hard to start grad school. I was very, I felt very alone. I was brand new in the city. Um, you know, I didn't have much of a, a support system or anything. And maybe talk about, you know, where are you from and what did you do before you got to Cornell? I went to college. Uh, I, I came. <laughs> at, there's a so a very popular place that where would you that is um, college? Yeah, the Shiloh went to Shiloh. Shiloh very proud of this picker place. Oh yes, I went to Williams College in Western Massachusetts. It was beautiful and lovely, and um, I go back whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have a lot of mentors there uh, and friends. And where was home before that? Or before that, home was in Southern California. So that was extremely different. But now I am very used to the East Coast. Why do you look so sad right now? I just whenever <laughs> thinking I, of the winter. <laughs> no, I just. I mean, I still. I I really did love my time at Williams, and you know, it's one of those things I wish I could revisit. Not just the place, but like that time. You know, 
nostalgia that hits feeling. me pretty hard. That's interesting because I, I love Penn. I don't want to be an undergrad again, though. I, I don't. I, I think I'm going to accept the choices I made and then move on. I don't mm. want to go back to Williams now as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. I just mean, like, just re, like, just having, kind of like, if I could rewind just for the afternoon and, like, relive a day or something. Mm-hmm. So d- it seems like, um, perhaps I'm reaching here, but there's something analogous going on between you revisiting Buffy and your work as a different type of love and revisiting Williams? Is that sort of your, your relationship to, to love, things that you love? Um, I guess I do get attached in a similar way, but with a, with a, a book or a show, things like that, it's very easy to revisit. Um, because you change, but it doesn't really change. Mm-hmm. And I guess I saw towards the end of the series, Buffy has like a really hard time um, for a year. She is like pretty low. And I've really um, identified with that and like got to like, interrogate um you know, thinking about sadness and depression and things like that through the show. And so, like, wouldn't it be wonderful to revisit those things that are important to me through this series that also, you know, has a lot of sentimental value Mm -hmm. at this point. That's really cool. I actually didn't know your dissertation was about Buffy. It's only partly about Buffy. It is is about... um, It's about works that really go against our cultural like assumptions about girlhood mm-hmm. <clears throat> so things that really work to you know disillusion adults about what girls interior lives are like so with Buffy it's I found it fascinating that they have this bubbly blonde teenage girl who's you know the hero and supposed to be like this kind of uplifting can-do person go through a year of being extremely depressed and not wanting to be alive um and how they really earned that and worked through it in a way that didn't make it so you could forget and go oh well she just she was down and now she's over it but it actually transformed her in the series in this really meaningful way that meant, you know, it mattered that she went through this depression and you can't just, like, dismiss it as a phase or growing pains or, you know, things that a lot of, even some fans tried to do because they're very uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And so you, you t- mentioned about fans being really uncomfortable with it. And so sometimes there's often seemed to be this clash between being a critic or being um, someone who's an academic, someone who studies it versus being a fan, perhaps in terms of the relationship to the object in question. So do you find that ever being a fan, might, maybe for you or you might observe this when you, when you teach material, when does a fan help and when does it hinder? And how do you take the qualities of being a fan and help to redirect it into being a critic? Um. That can definitely be hard, depending on how, for me, depending on how long and how deeply I've loved something, um, that can affect whether or not you have any critical distance. Mm -hmm. Um, 
like there are some things that like for example I know that I'm not meant to be a scholar who writes about M Michael Jackson because <laughs> it's just it's too close and I I just can't. So you're saying you're not as close to Janet Jackson? I'm saying that because um, our Sh Shyla has uh, written some stuff on Janet Jackson. I have written some just stuff. A little on, bit. I've just written a little bit. bit about Janet Jackson. Um, <laughs> I guess not. I guess I I do love Janet, but I've <laughs> I've been. Like I go, it goes way back with Michael Jackson okay. and like further, like it, it came into, you know, Janet fandom as like a teenager. So oh, okay. where I was, like, I was a small kid when, so it's just, it's different. See, um, well, Shiloh's Janet fandom is enough that one time I had a dream that I met Janet Jackson and I made a point in making sure that she knew that my friend Shiloh really <laughs> thought that she's awesome and that she should try to meet her. I actually think I... I got Shal's approval as a friend when we talked about Janet Jackson and I knew a few things. Was, yeah. I think that was what really cemented it before. She was kind of like, yeah, you know what? We can eat lunch together. I think I tried to bring it up one time. There. Yeah. And then you're like, and you guys like sort of exploded at each other. Like exploded in joy. You too? Yep. Then we could, then we could meet up. Right, then it was like, but oh. it was acceptable. <laughs> I wasn't, it didn't have to just be the mediator. It's, it's really nice when you can share things you love a lot with your close friends. <laughs> I can see this meaningful look being directed at me, but I'm going to think about it as being part of your talk to you talking about your pedagogy and how you design <laughs> classes. Mm -hmm. So you can't write about Janet Jackson or Michael Jackson, right? You can't be a good critic of that because you're an extreme fan of it, but what about? I guess continue your thought there before we went into our fandom conversation. Being a fan can help because, in in I mean in terms of academia and research, because becoming a fan is actually a lot of work, of anything mm -hmm. like you know you, it requires research. It requires a lot of attention, a lot of reviewing and re-listening and discussing with other people who you find who have this passion. And it's, it's actually, in some ways, you can describe it as being similar to, you know, becoming like an expert in like a field. Mm -hmm. um, and so it means that if you can make that turn to look at it critically, you've got so much information like at your fingertips already. Um, that you wouldn't have if, like, for example, I had just started studying Buffy because someone was like, oh, there's this show, versus, you know, I had been watching it for years. Like, mm -hmm. um, so even in, in writing about the series, for example, like, I I knew, maybe I'm embarrassing myself, I'm not sure, but I or already... Or impressing us with the depth of your scholarship. I knew. <laughs> well, let us be the judge of this. I knew exactly, you know, which season, which episode. Like, I had everything, like, right there. Like, That's anything good. I wanted to think about, I'm like, oh, yes, this scene. Like, it wasn't hard. It didn't have to dig through. I remembered. Um, it was easy to go back to interviews. Um, I already knew about, you know, fan opinions about some controversial, uh, like, plot points. And it just... It made the process richer and it made me, it built my confidence because I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I have so much already. And that's something I, that informs my teaching. I really try to get my students to realize how much they have 
already that they can use and draw on um, are things they've already seen and noticed, but to look at it in a different way. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, I think that maybe the, a question might be for people who aren't as familiar with cultural criticism. What, where does one even begin with analyzing a TV series? Like what sort of tools do you need at your disposal? Like what sort of skills are you supposed to learn? So, yeah, I'm so you yeah, so you grow up you... really liking a show like Buffy, but then how do you approach it as a critic? Uh, what vocabularies do you need? What things do you even look at? Um, I would say for for my students, it's it's great to pair um, TV series and films with, if you can, with um, critical texts that um, cite those things. So. Um, there actually is quite a lot of Buffy literature. <laughs> I thought I was special, but I was definitely not. You're um, still special to us. And, <laughs> and to, to lay down groundwork about, um, about spectatorship, about, you know, the male gaze, about what, um, you know, tropes and, I don't know, I guess it, it depends... I find for me the process is kind of organic and comes out of, you know, the specific like material and what students bring up and um, what I know are like, um, what I know are kind of, I guess, hot button topics about the show. Or... So you sort of approach it thematically. Yes. Yeah. And, but also, it sounds like by pairing it with other texts, you're also sort of also giving them theoretical apparatuses and probably like also formal training in terms of analyzing what's happening on the screen. It definitely takes a lot of pushing to get to get people to take a step back from like just just having the reactions that they're supposed to have. I don't know how to explain this. Like even when if I show them like. Uh, commercials for example they'll get the response they're supposed to get like if a woman in a bikini is eating a steak right <laughs> they'll be like steak is fun right that's the that's the surface message mm -hmm. but I'm like okay let's look at how they got you to that you know reaction why is it that that's what this says um, Let's, you know, really look at what's going on and realize that steaks could be fun without a bikini, for example. <laughs> like, what, you know, to, and to, you know, tie that into things about ob subject versus object and, um, you know, feminism and, I mean, there's a whole, like, a lot of avenues open up from there, but to start in a way that's very much like, look at what you already know which is i know watching this commercial that steak is fun and think about like why you know that and whether or not that's actually true mm -hmm. i you know i have to admit I, I never thought about that kind of analysis and, and looking at that and i think that's really cool i'm curious how other people perceive so you talk about what it's like in the classroom, and I'm curious about what your peers or other faculty, how they perceive doing something that you love. 
studying that thing, Buffy, because it's it is a commercial thing, and you you mentioned other people study it before, but I wonder what your personal experience has been trying to also um, become a scholar in this regard. Um, there are definitely different camps when it comes to, you know, what's the most respectable thing to pursue academically. Um, some people are very wary of, uh, of studying things that you love, like as a fan, because there's a, a suspicion about your critical distance or, um, a sense that maybe because you're so excited about it outside of academia, it lacks rigor, um... (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because it, it makes it sound like you enjoyed that. That's not real literature. That's I, not real yeah, I mean, study. That's, that's sometimes. You actually liked it. <laughs> that's sometimes how things go. Not not how for do everyone. How you smile but... while you read this text? <laughs> yeah. Like I was. It's like know... somehow there's some sort of binary going on between mind and heart. Yeah. Implicitly. I've been told. I remember as an undergrad, I was in an early draft of my. Um, personal statement um a professor told me don't say you love literature that's like a terrible thing to say that's also advice i've heard as well like in graduate school like don't bother saying that you want to go to do a phd in english because you love reading yeah she said but i get the the spin of like you know that's a cliche like clearly you're applying because you love literature but that wasn't really her point it wasn't like they already know that it's more like it's so unprofessional to say that you love literature yeah and she was like isn't it it's like you know someone who's who's goes to vet school would never say they love animals that was her like analogy hmm. even though that's not true yeah, <laughs> like we, we know people who, are pre, who were pre-vet and now are in vet school yes, so. I have many many residents and um former former yeah. residents and former students who yeah. are vet school people and they hey katie say yes <laughs> Yeah, I think, and also there's, of course, this sort of bias between what's perceived as high culture versus low culture, and the bias perhaps against things that are too close in the present, and I think that there's a lot of camps. Uh, I've definitely encountered some people who are very against analyzing popular culture. Do you think you have to work harder to, to, um, not to do the work itself, but to legitimize the work that you do? And if so, what ways do you, have you taken, or do you see people taking? I think that many people have taken up that battle of like le- trying to legitimize cultural studies. Um, I don't know how efficiently I fight that battle. I'm kind of like, in order, if I'm going to be here, um, I I need to feel very passionately about the things I'm studying and I don't only do television I do literature and um, critical theory and um, you know it's pretty diverse I think the types of texts I I incorporate but I also don't see them as that different mm-hmm. um, I approach you know film in a very similar way, it's how I approach literature. 
Um, and I know that because they're different mediums, there are different tools that, that can be used. I think that there's a way to discuss a film in like, you know, the context of, you know, filmography and also a way to address it on like a narrative level, um, the way you would a novel. What would you say is the central theme and the things that you've studied? So I know about Buffy and womanhood and looking at the internal, um, I guess, thoughts of, of a girl. And I, I know from other conversations you've talked about childhood. What would you say is like the theme or the one thing that you really got out of what you were trying to study? I guess what I, the main thing I got out of it is that It's a relief that so many people are trying to make room for girls who have gone through experiences that aren't considered kid-friendly mm -hmm. um, because there's so much shame in being um, categorized as like a fallen child um, and really the the point that I that I wanted to you know to push for is that a lot of times we get in the way of of children especially girls and their you know healing and dealing with um, traumatic memories because these are experiences with abuse, with poverty, with disease, whatever, things that they're not supposed to know about. Um, and just making, making room for them to have, to have experienced these things and to heal from them without having to worry about like adults' expectations about like, mm -hmm. you know, being like the nice girl or mm -hmm. whatever. And I know from a bit from your research as well that you're also very interested in how like the concept of childhood is applied very unevenly across forms of difference. Uh, and I know that you've looked at some interesting uh, studies about that or on other works of scholarship. Would you like to cite any that have been pretty influential for you? Um, one thing that was really influential and also just kind of making waves on its own was uh, Robin Bernstein. Yes, Robin Bernstein. Robin Bernstein's um, racial innocence, um, which is just perfect for my research and just wonderful on its own, about um, just the history of um, American, the American notion of childhood innocence and how that became really entangled with, you know, um, whiteness and the idea of purity and how innocence is really um, only relegated to, you know, a certain demographic and how um, black children in particular are, are very much not seen as innocent and at the same time not really seen as children and how um, that really resonates now with you know, contemporary studies about people who assume that black children are much older than they actually are, 
um, black children who are more often tried as adults, who are more often, um, you know, you know, uh, disciplined by police officers at young ages are more likely to be suspended at young ages um, because there's a sense that they're not uh, a group that needs protection. For you, I guess, um, I guess for, I'm sure that for some of our listeners, they haven't really thought of the figure of the child very much in popular culture. Would you like to talk a little bit about some maybe iconic figures, uh, child figures in like American or world culture or that you find particularly influential? You see this sort of lineage from maybe the Dickensian orphan to Harry Potter or something like that. Um, what are some like good landmarks for our listeners to know about? Well, in talking about um, children in popular culture, a big thing that comes up a lot is uh, Nickelodeon. Mm. Do you guys yes. that network, which had its heyday in the 90s um, because it, it was the first network that was entirely geared towards um, children and had an array of, um, of programming that, you know, targeted, like, you know, very young children to, like, elementary school age to adolescent children. Um, they were diverse. They had, you know, one of the first TV series that um, had the main character, the girl. Um, Which show was that? Clarissa Explains It All. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Which was groundbreaking because, you know, there's still the idea now, but at the time it was really strong that, you know, um, girls will watch a show about boys, but boys won't watch a show about girls. And so um, a show with the girls, the focus isn't going to succeed. But that show did very well. Um, and I mean, there's a lot there's a lot about that, about how Nickelodeon really was like a huge generator of like what children's culture looked like and what like the kid identity is supposed to look like, like, you know, in this um, really big way. And um, and I could imagine that right now, like I know for probably me and Liz and probably for a lot of our listeners, this is really resonating for us. We probably, a lot of us grew up in Nickelodeon shows or perhaps since we have, might have older listeners too that their children did as well and we're having this moment where perhaps the fan is coming out in you guys and Shiloh's giving us a little bit of the perspective on how to be the critic. So yeah, sorry. actually there's a Goosebumps movie coming out. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I for, you know, I forget it's some popular, um, some, some girl that's doing it. Okay, that's not really helpful information. <laughs> <laughs> But, isn't but the, it's a woman who's directing listen, it, you're saying? Listen, the point is, Goosebumps is coming out. I recognize the actress for some reason because something she did before, but I don't know her name right now, which is so <laughs> This is very useful. Me. I'm half Wait, useful. is she starring in it? I or? start off with really great information, and at the end, I have no information. Well, well anyway, it, that's a great thing. It, it whets her appetite for more. Go on for, the yeah. internet. And find this person. <laughs> you're already online. If you're so listening what, to this, what shifted so. to the to the fall? Or is it has there been a fall for Nickelodeon, or just has shifted? Because um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Amazing. Yes. Which was an amazing show, but um, it's not. It's not. 
I don't, I'm not saying Nickelodeon has fallen. I'm not sure. I don't know enough to say that. But we don't, they it, don't, we don't owe them money. It's fine. It's, they're definitely not the pioneers anymore. So there's Uh-oh. other rivals right now. Yeah, there's other rivals. Okay. It's not like um, Cartoon Network, like the Disney Channel, like, I don't know. I, there's a million mm-hmm. channels now for those people who still have cable. Okay. There's a million mm-hmm. channels. <laughs> Um, and everyone's gotten in on the, on that market in some ways. Like when you think about like Saturday morning, like you know they ha- they'll have like times of the day that are mm-hmm. geared towards children and like with more. You know, I always thought those commercials were funny. I don't know if you guys remember this, but they would advertise something kind of ridiculous, really unnecessary, but it was totally tailored towards kids. And they would say, "Go ask your parents if you can buy this." Go ask your parents if you can go get their credit card and get this. And I'm thinking, like, whoa. That's what... <laughs> it's, it's interesting because, you know, chil- children are a huge market. But at the same time, they're not really the ones buying things, even though they're they driving the purchase of things. So that is um, either they... Um, Sometimes things that are for children, they may not be toys or something, but they're advertised straight to parents to get for their kids. Um, Or it's like prompting the child to, you know, be so obsessed that their parents will be like, fine, right? And that's also why, like, placement in grocery stores, you know, with candy in in reach of the shopping carts and stuff so the kids can, can grab it and, like, draw attention to it so the parents will give in. That's the idea. Even and Nickelodeon actually had this this commercial for um, Nick Magazine. Do you remember this? Where they, they were the whole point of the commercial was stalk your parents and ask them every wow. second of every day for this magazine. So the kids were popping out from under the beds and they were leaving signs on on like their dad's briefcase and they were like every possible way they could think of to go Nick Magazine, please. <laughs> So. I don't think I had that. Well, of course, growing up in Canada, mm-hmm. like we licensed some shows, but we had our own child's children's network. YTV for all those Degrassi. who remember things. Yeah, Degrassi. Oh, oh yeah, and Drake. Um, Not necessarily a kid show. It's probably like a preteen. Yeah, it was very influential uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, I didn't like shows with real people in it, so yeah. I didn't really. I never watched it. I didn't like the toys that were real people. Well, not real people. Never mind. <laughs> no, well, none of my toys. None of my toys were real people. I preferred. Wait, I preferred like toy animals, is what I'm saying, and toy, you know, fantastical creatures to people. So, Liz, what about you? Is there like a, a connection, between you know, passion or fandom and science? And science that I do actively. Wow, I keep those lives separate, I think. <laughs> I mean, I do enjoy what I do. Let me think about that. Um, hmm. When I first started doing science, I wanted to study energy, and I wanted to recreate what the stars use to make energy on Earth. I wanted to make a fusion reactor. So that was kind of cool that I wanted it sounds to like the that. anime that I, I never watched. Which anime? <laughs> Madoka. 
because oh. it's all about like we want to use the energy when you like become this other thing to oh yeah thermodynamics yeah but mine is real <laughs> it is real anyway anyway <laughs> However, I think it all, Liz, I have to just point out that what you just described also sounds like a fantastic origin story. It does. For a, a villain. Mm-hmm. Or a superhero, I guess. Oh my god. Think about it. Think no, about it. It's not that I haven't thought about it. It's just that I get so frustrated when I go to movies. Like, I'm that person that would probably, if I didn't have more manners, just go, that's not right. That's not accurate. <laughs> I want That's to see one of these works. movies with me. I'm always <laughs> wondering about things like that. Spider-Man. <laughs> I forget which one it is. This is the one with the guy with the arms. Doc, 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 Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. This fission reactor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is so effing ridiculous that is not possible that's not how this works how much do you have that's not what it's called that's not how it works you'd be dead right now <laughs> I love so the it. whole time i'm just like what doesn't make sense no look at that you gotta have like a magnetic barrier it can't like that fluid can't touch anything it's not hot enough that's not how oh my god, oh my god. now we, we have to, to watch this we need to do a separate podcast science reactions with Liz Wayne i'm just thinking like that is not how it works Time travel? Pseudoscience. How's that working out for you? What's there? Okay. All right. Fine. There was this one. I don't know if you... Did you ever watch Heroes? Yes. Do you, there was this one episode where there was the guy, the, like, radioactive man who... He was the one who was going to blow up the world in the first season, and they had to... Whatever. What did they do with him? They bring him up to the sky and he, he fought yeah and um at one point he had blown up a house first and there was all this radiation around because he had done this and they were like here take a take this pill and then it'll like get rid of all the like radioactive poisoning or whatever i thought there were pills you could help with yeah. radiation poisoning wait how does that work though i bl- or did i just see this in a video game Okay, I'm not completely sure, but I'm going to hypothesize that the radiation affects, like, your thyroid. And so those pills may be trying to protect oh, your thyroid. Oh, iodine pill. So the pills. Iodine, yeah, that, that makes sense. And I don't know what the mechanism is for that protection, but it affects your thyroid. Okay. Hmm. But there's a reason why we can't go to Chernobyl. Chernobyl? Chernobyl. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. We can't go there. <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> you don't want three arms. Your <laughs> body's not meant for that. Would you really grow a third arm? Is that a thing that can happen? No. You can't actually just grow a third arm. Like, you after have, you, you could already have, have two. You could probably have children. You could have, have a three-arm arm baby. Yeah. Would, but could you grow a third arm? I am not popping out a three-arm baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most. My God. Have you <laughs> thought about It's labor? hypothetical. <laughs> There have been babies born with many arms. Usually it's because of yeah. those conditions. Your but childhood studies? No, I just, this is... We might be able to see it tomorrow, and which we'll talk about in the next episode of PhD yeah. when we go to the Mutra Museum. Should I? Yeah. <laughs> I cannot guarantee that we'll see a three-armed baby, but we will see interesting things. Well, it's been, it's been very real. Definitely, obviously, the theme for Shala has been love, and I think that um, it's wonderful to see your passion coming through. And also, we're very grateful that you're our first guest. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you 
for coming by the studio, you know. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of TC. This is Zanyao. This is Lane and Shyla Foster. Yay, PhD Dr. Shyla Foster. Yes. We will see you next time. Yep. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Yay. Bye. I'm going to cut that out. Y'all everywhere. That's pretty cool.